Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Happy Easter. If you're joining us today for the first time, we are delighted that you're here. Um, We hope that you consider making this your church home. Uh, If you don't already have one, if you do already have one, thanks for visiting. Um, But we are excited about our final window that we're going to gaze through. And it is the window that the difference a day can make. As believers in Christ, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old things are passing away, and behold, all things are becoming new. That all began on the first Easter morning, the first resurrection day, the day that Jesus conquered the grave and fled the tomb, leaving the tomb empty and our lives full That was the first day of the new beginning for all of mankind to those who would believe. And so our final window as we've taken this series to just kind of look through a narrow place. To look at a specific part of the Easter story. Today we'll pick up in Mark chapter 16 if you want to turn there. uh, Verses 1 through 20. Another part of the Easter story as far as the gospel authors. But I want to focus in on the difference that this day makes. A very small piece for us to think on in our final window as we look through window number four. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for our new lives in Christ, that we are new creations, that old things are passing away, and behold, all things are being made new. And so, Lord, as we ponder this thought, as we think about what the disciples experienced, what was a horror on Friday became a hallelujah on Sunday. And Lord, that day ushered in the age of grace that we now walk in, that we are able to call ourselves the children of God, adopted into that eternal family, one day stepping into your very presence. What a difference a day makes in our lives. Speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You were with us just a couple hours ago. We looked at the voice of the tomb. That that it all really begins for the believer, at least as far as the confirmation. When Jesus died, the price was paid. When he said to tell us it is finished, it was. But as far as humankind is concerned, it took the resurrection for us to see the confirmation that the new day had come. It took the resurrection for us to see the confirmation that the new day had come, that Jesus was, in fact, 
alive. And this is so important for us because as we look at the Gospel of Mark, we see the Sabbath. If you remember, Jesus was crucified on a Sabbath. That was supposed to be the Jewish holy day, and in fact, because it was Passover, it was a high holy day. And you would think that'd be a terrible way to end a high holy day, but when your high holy day ends up with the defeat of death and the defeat of sin, it's a really good new day. Amen? Verse 1, Mark chapter 16. And now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, whom we also met this morning at the tomb, in John's gospel in chapter 20, and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come to anoint him. You see, the burial process of Jesus was not completed. He was hastily buried. There wasn't time. And so because Jesus is on the cross at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus needs to be buried before the sun goes down. And so he was hastily buried on Friday. It's now been Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the third day. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday to the Jewish person, not Monday like our work week, they came to the tomb and the sun had risen much like we celebrated this morning as we're out there in the dark initially and an hour later the sun is, is risen and we're all basking in the glow. Uh, so it was for Mary and Mary and Salome that first resurrection morning. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Now, the reason this is important is it tells you that they, number one, have come to complete the burial process. They thought Jesus was still dead. Number two, they thought it was going to be, if not impossible, nigh impossible to even get to his body. It was guarded by Roman soldiers, and he was inside a tomb with a stone door. If you travel with us to Israel, and we go to the garden tomb, and whether it is the tomb or is not the tomb, which has been debated uh, many people believe it is, some believe it's not, it's not important. But the tomb is indicative of a first century rich man's tomb in which there's a stone door in a trough. When that stone is placed in the trough, it's done so with a whole bunch of people. It's put on the uphill side of a downsloping trough. It may have weighed anywhere between a ton to a ton and a half. And it has rolled downhill in a stone trough to cover the door. Here comes three ladies. We don't know what they weighed. We don't know if they were professional weightlifters. We have no idea. But assuming that they were all very strong, each one of them could move 400 pounds each uphill, they had come to a basically impossible task. They came with faith believing somehow there would be someone there to help. They came with at least a little faith. Sometimes that's where it begins for all of us, with just a little faith. And when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, 
And they were alarmed. Now again, remember the gospel authors come from different life experiences, different cultures, they're different ages. You have a Gentile and three Jews. And they are writing what they themselves saw and experienced. And so here is Mark, John Mark, and he records these things. Remember that we have a little different view in John's gospel. That's what you would expect out of eyewitnesses to anything. If we all go out and we had witnessed some car accident in an inter- intersection someplace, some of you are going to remember how far the headlights flew and the pieces of plastic and everything that happened in the intersection. You probably aren't going to look at the people at all. You're just going to go, man, the cars are mangled. And some of you, the first thing you're going to notice is the airbag and the person inside the car, and you're going to record those events. This is what eyewitnesses do. It's one of the reasons we believe the gospel authors were actually eyewitnesses to the events is because they did not record exactly the same thing in the same way. Many pieces are the same. They were alarmed. Why? They thought somebody stole the body. This is a problem. And then he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Amen? He's risen. He's not here. They came looking for one thing. It was a new day to them. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell the disciples and Peter. And I've often wondered why Peter is singled out there. And I do believe that it is for a single reason. Peter is the one that had denied the Lord three times. They were going to need to hunt Peter down by himself because Peter was alone in his misery. The disciples likely were together. Peter probably thought he was beyond hope. I've denied the Lord. And so go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him as he said to you. Jesus reminded them that he would meet them in Galilee. And so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. For they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And now when he arose on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. As we said this morning, Mary, it's me, it's Jesus. And she turns around, out of whom he had cast seven demons When you travel to Magdala, this little lakeside community on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and you look at this place, this synagogue, and you see this Bema seat where no doubt Jesus had read and taught, and you think about Mary, this woman who's now gathered so much attention here, You see, to whom much is forgiven, much is required. She plays a central story. She was one of the best cases 
that Jesus could have brought into the story of someone whose life was transformed by the things that he did. Oh, she was a mess before, but she had experienced a new day. And now she was ready to serve the Lord. And she went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept, Now, before we're too harsh on the disciples, it's pretty obvious that they didn't believe that Jesus was risen. I, I really doubt if they were expressing faith in what Jesus has said on the third day, I will be raised, they would have probably been wandering around trying to find him. Looking to see if they could locate Jesus, they would have been anticipating that he was risen, but instead... Their mourning, which is a sign they believe he's dead, and their weeping, which is proof that they really are mourning. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, here it comes, they did not believe. Now we don't know how deep that unbelief was. We don't even know what the source of that unbelief was. Was it deep and pervasive and they were not believing at all or were they in shock that they didn't have faith enough to believe and yet it was true there are lots of ways to interpret this and after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country and when they went and told it to the rest they did not believe them any either you kind of get in the picture? All these people that had been around Jesus, seen him do miracles, had literally spent time with him, actually didn't believe that he was alive. They were wandering around going, I'm not sure. And then later... And I'm sure I would have gotten the chastisement that's coming. He appeared to the 11. Judas is gone. He's hanged himself. As they sat at the table, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. You see, to them, the new day was kind of lagging behind. And it was lagging behind for one reason. And that reason is unbelief. And if you want to stagger and stymie your own relationship with the Lord and prevent progress in your own relationship with the Lord, then you only need to do these things yourself. That is to live in persistent unbelief. Unbelief of his majesty, unbelief of his power, Unbelief of his word, just unbelief, will stymie your relationship with the Lord. And so he rebukes them. In other words, he says, look guys, you need to knock it off. And then he said to them, go into all the world and get involved in politics. Hmm. Preach the gospel to every creature. There's a reason I said that. The church of Jesus Christ 
is to be an army of preachers of the gospel. That's actually what we're supposed to be doing. And these other things that we have gotten ourselves engaged in are for the most part limited in their fruit at best and often fruitless. Jesus told the disciples to go and preach the gospel. Because the gospel has the power. It is the power of God unto salvation to them who believe. It has the transformative power to also then reform culture, change lives, break addictions, cure inequities, cause generosity, kill greed, destroy evil. The gospel has the power to do that. Nothing else actually does. Other things can alter in a temporal sense the trajectory of people and culture. It is only the gospel alive in the powerful lives of believers that has lasting effect. Because their destiny, their course is charted forever to heaven. Amen? That's why Jesus says what he says here. And so on this Easter, maybe it's time for a new day for some of you. Maybe you need to rethink what your life is actually about as far as the gospel is concerned. Because Jesus said, go preach the gospel. And then he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That is the simplest presentation of the result of believing in Jesus Christ that exists in all of Scripture. There's the difference. Believe and be saved. Don't and you're lost. And so Jesus doesn't complicate this issue. You see, a new day always begins in everyone's life with believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when they enter into that grace-filled living. That's when they begin to change in a way that's meaningful. That's when their life begins to count for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what's supposed to happen. One person gets saved. The next person gets saved. And they introduce the next person and they get saved. And those three go minister to six and they minister to 12, and they minister to 20, and that's the way it's supposed to work. And if each person is a genuine believer in Christ Jesus, then every person has a new day, and that new day creates a new world. New days in Christ Jesus will create a new world. And in fact, followed to its conclusion, would create the kingdom age. If everyone on earth were saved, Jesus would be coming again. So don't miss that. Easter brought us the beginning of a new day.
What are we doing with it? And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, I want you to notice this, and I don't want to spend too much time on this for sake of time today. They'll cast out demons, speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. They drink anything deadly, poisonous. It will by no means hurt them. They'll lay on hands in the sick. They will recover. Those are miraculous things. You could just put them all in the category of miracles. Miraculous speech, miraculous actions, miraculous words. That the new day that begins with salvation in Christ Jesus and the gospel creates miraculous things in the lives of people who receive it. Miracle living comes by salvation in Christ Jesus. Do not underestimate the power of a new day. And so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and they preached everywhere. Notice what they did. They received the rebuke. They understood what he said. And they went and were doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving themselves. They actually preached the gospel. The book of Acts is actually the recordation of the work of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. All these incredible things that happen. They preached everywhere. And the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. And so here's this new day that's come upon them. Looked like a defeat. Smelled like a defeat. But in fact, I I don't know how many of you have had the, the glorious privilege of filling out those forms to get a rebate on some product you bought. You know what I'm saying? It's like you go and draw three quarts of blood, you put that in a box, and you have to provide the barcodes from the proof of purchase things on the box. Now, what they don't tell you is that's not the same thing. There's two different things on there. There's the barcode that was the store code. That's where you bought it. And then there's the barcode of the product, which is a different barcode. And I don't know how many of you have had this thing where you cut out the wrong barcode and you put it in there and say, well, we rejected. Uh, you can't have your rebate. Well, I only bought it because I was going to get a rebate. It wasn't that, you know, that's, I'm, come on here. The empty tomb and the cross of Christ are those two pieces of information necessary for you to have a rebate on your life so you can go to heaven. Jesus has got to go to the cross and he has to die and the tomb has to be empty and you've got to have both. That's how you get to that new day. What do I mean? You see... Seeing should be believing. Remember who runs to the tomb. It's Peter and John. You think they were disciples? I do. For all of Peter's mistakes, I believe that Peter was a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus. He loved Jesus supremely. I think he had some issues. I got some issues. I cut Peter slack. John, we know that John loved Jesus because John actually brags about how much Jesus loves him. I am the disciple who put his head on Jesus' breast. It's kind of like another way of saying, nobody else got to hug Jesus, but I did. So 
Peter and John are the guys that run to the tomb. Along with Peter and John, ultimately, are all these ladies whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. Every one of them should have looked into that tomb, known that the cross was where Jesus died, known that the tomb is where they put the body. The body wasn't there, and Jesus himself had said, in three days I will be raised. They should have gone, hallelujah! But instead they went, where did they put his body? That's what unbelief can do. It can steal the joy of the new day. Now, praise God that the grace of God works in their lives, and so it doesn't last long. By the end of the first day, they are saying hallelujah, and by the end of the first day, they are believing. But unbelief in any amount is a dangerous thing to the child of God. And so Jesus rebukes it, and finally they are escaping from it. You see, Jesus is more than our Savior. Jesus is our sanctifier. He's the one that makes the life that we live even possible. It's not possible to live a Christian life. That's why it's so foolish to try and preach Christian morality and Christian principles to people who don't believe in Christ. It's an impossibility We couldn't do that without Christ. And we even believe that those things are accurate or true. That's why you can't morally inject a Christian morality into an immoral group of people. Until they come to faith in Christ, those things are a foreign language to them. And so we see that in the way this unbelief creeps into even the disciples. But finally, this eyewitness testimony comes to to their lives. You see, the truth is, one day Jesus is coming back as judge. At this moment, he's still allowing us this beautiful age of grace. The world's going to be judged by Jesus. They're not going to be judged by politics. This is going to be some group that runs our country that's going to go through, and well, you know, how did you do with this or that? It's going to, when Jesus comes again, do you know him or do you not know him? That's the only question. And so on Easter, if we want Easter to be a new day and the beginning of a new life and a new way, then we got to get focused back on what matters to the Lord. And that is preaching the gospel, teaching the word, living lives that are indicative of the people that we are of grace. We should be so different from the world that the world looks at us and goes, man, there's something totally different about Jeff. Seeing should be believing. And people should be able to look at our lives and have eyewitness testimony of it, exactly as the Apostle Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15. These people were eyewitness testimony that Jesus was alive. You are supposed to be, I am supposed to be, this church is supposed to be eyewitness testimony to the fact that Jesus is alive. Amen? That's actually the church's mission. That's what we're supposed to be about. And I, for one, want to make sure at least this church is on that mission. 
That's what we're about. The other stuff, other people can do that. But the gospel, no compromise. None. First Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Notice the point there? According to what God said about himself, that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve, and after that seen by over 500 brethren of once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. And Paul finally says in verse 8, and by me, on the road to Damascus, his own conversion experience, seeking to persecute Christians, he gets saved. What was this all about? There were some serious realizations there at the tomb of a new day. For Mary Magdalene, she went from grieving to tears of joy. Amen? You know, when you come face to face with Jesus, you should go from grieving to tears of joy. Because you just went from lost to found. You went from dead to alive. That's what happened to you. And it amazes me that Christians abandon these things for other things. That I once was dead in my trespasses and sins, but he hath made me alive. That he created me in Christ Jesus for good works, that I should walk in them. These things in and of themselves are a lifetime adventure. And every day is a new day. Every day is a new day. And every day has meaning in Christ. For the disciples, it, it meant from fear. These guys were cowering in fear. They had watched Jesus beaten and murdered. John at least saw Jesus yield up his spirit. And they got courage. They went from fear to courage. I've listened to so many people during the pandemic who, who are literally abandoning their faith to walk in fear. First they were walking in fear of a vaccine. Then they were walking in, or first they were in fear of the virus and then in fear of the vaccine. And then, you know, in fear of what will happen and am I going to grow a third arm out of the middle of my forehead or will a barcode appear up there or something. You know, it's just like, the child of God doesn't walk in fear for the perfect love of God cast out all fear. Amen? We learned this on the first new day at the tomb. You had a bunch of fearful people who then said, I'm going for it with Jesus. If he says go, I'm going to go. If he says stay, I'm going to stay. For Thomas... And maybe this is someone here today or watching online. You went from doubt, Thomas did, to assurance. From uncertainty to certainty. You see, Thomas was much like a lot of people that we run into our, in our world today. 
I talk to people who are essentially professing their agnosticism. They are too smart to believe in Jesus. And this becomes some interesting debate material with me. It's like, really? So you believe somehow you used to be green algae. And then you became, you know, some type of zooplankton. And after that, you, you became some type of multi-celled organism that floated around. Well, let's go back even further. Actually, you believe that someplace out in outer space, there were the entire periodic table of the elements floating around together until they got on ChristianMingle.com. And they somehow found each other. Church, if you think you're too smart for Jesus to inform for Jesus, then you're probably not informed enough about Jesus because he's creator God and he knows some things you don't know and he's done some things you can't do and he's still doing things that we can't do. Amen? That was Thomas. Amen. He just got done conquering death in the grave and they're going, well, I don't know. Thomas goes, unless I could see the, the, the marks. I love this about Jesus. Jesus goes, okay. Lifts up his tunic and says, here it is. Can you imagine how Thomas felt the moment Jesus did that? I know what I would have done. I would have dropped, I would have done exactly what Isaiah said. Woe is me. I am undone, undone a man of unclean lips. I am so sorry, Lord. As they arrive at the tomb, can I just remind you that a tomb is a resting place for dead people? Amen? They went to a resting place for dead people, intending to finish the burial process that you do for dead people. I don't want to be too graphic, but dead people are in tombs. Not sleeping people, not comatose people, not hallucinating people, not strange people. The stone didn't get rolled down until somebody who was dead was inside. And so here comes the disciples. Who are they looking for? A dead person. That's who's always in tombs. So much so that the angelic visitor had to kind of put away their fears. They were afraid they were going to find a dead Jesus. He's not here. Wrong. Think again. Was the tomb empty? No, there was actually evidence in the tomb. We saw some of that this morning. What was the evidence? The grave clothes. The fact that there was no body but there were grave clothes, was actually evidence that Jesus didn't just get snatched out of the tomb. He didn't kind of miraculously stumble back to life. Now, I don't know how many of you have done this. I, I hate to admit this in front of you because you may think ill of me, but one of the funniest things that we would do at the camp sometimes is we would grab somebody and duct tape them into their sleeping bag. 
If you had been doing something really not good, I mean, you could conceivably wake up duct tape inside your sleeping bag. This was like, you know, it wasn't really punishment. It was more like, this will fix this. I can tell you something about a person who's duct taped into a sleeping bag. They will never get out of it on their own. It is an impossibility. So the cool thing that you can do with someone duct taped into a sleeping bag is you can stand them up next to buildings. Uh, you can put them out on lawns. You can float them on an air mattress out in the middle of a lake and there's not a thing they can do about it. Why? Because they're inside of grave clothes. We were always careful we didn't lose anybody. And if there was sheer terror, we would always let them out. Just want to be clear, it wasn't like a terrorist activity. But Jesus couldn't have gotten out of those grave clothes even if he had come back alive by himself. It was proof that he'd passed right through them. They were folded neatly in their place, kind of like a cocoon. Mind-boggling to me. A woman had come. They were going to unwrap him and then take all these very costly ointments and spices and finish burying Jesus. There was evidence in that tomb. And the moment they saw the evidence, they took off running. The disciples were still too confused. But then you can see the reaction to the evidence that was there on that first new day. Mary concluded that the body was stolen. Instantly, finally, Mary hears the voice of Jesus. And it's like, oh, it's him. Ultimately, Rabboni, teacher, master. You see, evidence is supposed to cause a reaction. When we hear who Jesus is, when we see what Jesus has done, when people see your life and my life and the life of this church, it should cause them to examine the evidence and conclude that Jesus is alive. That's what your life is supposed to be. It's supposed to be evidence that Jesus is alive. It's one of the main reasons, if not the reason, that we're still here. Jesus could use this platform without me and speak the gospel himself, but he's chosen to use us so that the evidence of us as other human beings, two human beings, would be that Jesus is alive. Church, that's our calling. Now, it's true also that that reaction, if you will, in spite of Thomas's agnostic beliefs, was that as he thought on these things and looked at this evidence, pondered it, if you will, that those details then began to bring him to his right mind. Well, see, I know he died. I know the tomb is empty. 
I know I'm being spoken to, and that often is how God works in our lives. It is, it is fairly rare. I can tell you as a pastor, it's fairly rare, at least as many people as have told me, that the first time they heard the gospel message, that they immediately got saved. But can I tell you what happens in most people's lives? They meet you. Then they meet another Christian someplace else. Then maybe they go to church and they meet some other Christian at the grocery store, or perhaps they get an email from somebody, or, or they get a Christmas card. Hey, just wanted you know, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus, been going to church. Hey, what are you doing with your relationship? Do you know God? It's amazing how many times the Lord compiles evidence, one on top of another, to eventually get that place exactly where the disciples got till they saw it as a new day. Church, you're part of that plan. You are. It's not just me. It's not just the worship team and the tech team and the facility team and a building and a place. It's you. You are part of a new day in other people's lives. You're that walking, talking evidence that Jesus is alive. You see, because people can see you. I can tell you that my own relationship with the Lord actually, I would say, had some fairly devastating effects on some people in my life because they didn't want to be around me anymore. I wasn't that fun guy anymore. I wasn't that party guy anymore. I wasn't the one seeking after riches anymore. I wasn't the guy that when you invited him over always had a quick, quippy word of some kind that was, you know, to them funny or whatever. I, I ruined more parties than I made joyful. So I became a witness for the Lord because they wanted to know, well, what happened to you, man? I met Jesus. Had a new day experience. You're part of the team. You're part of the army. And we got work to do, church. There's not a neighborhood or a neighbor in our city that isn't worthy of our efforts to preach Christ. There's not a place that we could go. Doesn't matter whether that person is homeless or fabulously wealthy. The king wants them in the kingdom. And so it gives us this incredible ability to reach out and collectively we can go anywhere and do anything to that end. We have the capacity to reach everyone. Look around this room. Ask yourself, who do you think is going to be excluded from the diversity that's in this room? No one. We can go everywhere. It's what we're supposed to be doing. It's a new day. Are you going to take the new day and do something a new way? Or are you going to try and stay with the old things? God wants us to start a new day. That doesn't mean that all of you haven't been doing some wonderful things already. But there's more to do. 
I believe God wants to open a window of revival. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every last human being. So that they would believe. Live gospel lives. Have that new day experience themselves. And so I just want to encourage you on this Easter that follows a very difficult year, virtually for all of us, I'm sure. It's a new day. I believe by the middle of summer, uh, we're going to see a lot of things return very close to normal. And I don't think it'll be much longer after that when true normality will finally be back upon us. But can I tell you something? We don't need to be back to normal. We need to be back to a new day. We need to actually ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to do with us? We just kind of got put on the shelf a little bit for a year. God, you must be wanting us to do something because you sure use some extreme measures to get us to stop and think. How about we just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to do? That's new. Where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do with my life, Lord? Because there's plenty of opportunity. It's really just a matter of whether we're going to believe or not. And then go do it. So church, as as your pastor, I am beyond blessed to be able to be your pastor. Make sure you know that. And so I believe in the collective potential that's in this room, that's watching online, that is represented by the body of Christ. I believe in a new day. But it's up to us to make it a reality. We gotta take the torch and run. We have to take the torch and run. We've got to grab the baton and go. We have to have the next person up mentality. And if we will and do, it's going to be really exciting. So let's make this year what's left of it. A new day for the king. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer? Amen. you don't know the Lord, we have a prayer team in our prayer room. Pastor Lester's over there by the door, waving his hand. We would love to share the gospel with you, the simple message of it. Pray with you. And for the rest of us, remember how good God has been. And let's do our best to try and outgive him back to this world that desperately needs a fresh start in a lot of ways. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this incredible body of believers. The Lord gives me so much joy to just attempt to share the precious truths of your word with. And Lord, as we go places together and do things for your kingdom and for your name's sake, Lord, would you give us a fresh start? Give us a new day. Lord, let us take the experience at the tomb And not sit and ponder too long, Lord, but get out and get busy. 
And so, Jesus, we thank you for the opportunities we have. Would we miss none of them? Lord, stimulate us to service. Cause us to be servants as you are a servant, Lord. We thank you for what the cross meant on Friday, and we really thank you for what the empty tomb meant on Sunday. Make it a new day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.